things with your soul, what would you say? Actually, right before what you would say is what would you think? Soul, what, what is the soul? It's that the deep essence of who we are and the idea of soul care. We're supposed to take care of the soul? Yeah. In fact, your soul care is more critical than your physical care. Your soul lives forever, right? How's things going with your soul? In fact, uh, John Wesley, some of you may have recalled uh, him as a, a great leader and pastor of uh, years past in England. And, and I had the opportunity to see the chapel of John Wesley uh, this last fall. He did a lot of ministry in the United States. He actually started, if you will, the Methodist Church because he had these methods. And one of his methods was to get people in circles called the Methodist Circles. And he would go around and look into everybody's eye. And the question he would ask, how are things with your soul? How are things with your soul? It causes you to step back because... You don't know where to go with it. Well, I think things are fine. I'm feeling pretty good. No, I'm not talking about how you're feeling physically. I'm not talking about the activity that's happening in your life. I'm not talking about if your finances are good or bad. I'm not talking about how your relational world's going and your family members and your marriage. I want to know about you and your soul. You see, you can't talk about the soul. You can't answer the question, how are things with your soul, unless you tie into a transcendence that's going on between you and God. And for those who don't believe in God, and maybe you're just checking God out here today, uh, it's, it's true that there is a being who created all things. And it's not just some super good power force that's happening somewhere. And it's not the ambiance of all is one and one is all. It, there is an eternal creator being who created all things and created you and created your soul and created you before you were even born. You know, when you bring up a newborn infant like Harrison, like Sonny Yarbrough, like Joe just brought up. I mean, he was not in this physical world a year ago at this time. He was in the womb. Now we get to see him and the parents and the, and, and the grandparents and the great-grandparents. And the, it, it, there's endearing love, right? They've been praying. They've been thinking about that one that was to be born. But even before he was conceived, God knew Sonny. Now you're starting to, don't hurt my brain. That's really going back real far. But from the foundations of the world, Scripture says, I knew you. God knows you. He created you. And he didn't create you as a physical being just to live it up and party for 70, 80, 90 years. And then it's all over. It's done. He created you to be an eternal being. And he placed within you and I a soul. And we need to have soul care each and every day of our life. We started a series a couple weeks ago called Summer Psalms. It's, it's going through some of the different playlists of heaven. The book of Psalms has 150 poems, prayers, laments, petitions even. And we're going to look at a few of those through this summer as we're doing. And we looked at Psalm 1 and we looked at Psalm 2. Today I want to look at the most famous psalm of all. 
It's been included in movies. It's been, it, it's been included in songs that people have sung. Hopefully you don't remember it from something like the Titanic. But it, it's, it's a psalm that's endeared to us. And it's not only the most famous psalm. It's possibly one of the most famous passages of Scripture altogether. What psalm is it? Psalm 23. Is Psalm 23 one of your favorite psalms? Maybe you have another favorite psalm. If you do have another favorite psalm, write it down in your connect card, throw it in the offering, and we'll see where we navigate through this summer. But Psalm 23, you can't speak on the psalms unless you at least hit it at some point. In fact, the more I got into uh, the Psalm 23 and refreshing and thinking it through this last week or two, I'm like, you could do a whole series on Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is oftentimes used at funerals. But Psalm 23 is not a psalm about death. Psalm 23 is a psalm about life. And it was written by David. David wrote 70 some of the psalms. And so if we're launching into some favorite psalms, you're going to hit David front and center. And David penned these simple six verses to this psalm because he had good soul care. And he understood how to take care of his soul. Did David mess up? You bet. And we're going to look at some of those psalms in those places. But David, even when he messed up and when he sinned, he sought forgiveness. God redeemed him. And David is known today. He was known in the New Testament as someone who had a heart after God. Because he had a soul that was after God. He had a soul that wanted to be in that transcendent connection. And he was able to dial into it. David was, was not only a shepherd. David was also an artist. David was a king. David was a warrior. He sort of got all the gifts. It's sort of sad sometimes when you think about the few that we each get sometimes. But David... He had this artistic way of connecting with God. And one of the beauties, I believe, in Psalm 23 is the very art by which he uses to describe the soul care that's needed. And in Psalm 23, there's two prominent images. There's the prominent image of the shepherd. And there's the prominent image of the host at a table. I'd like to read... A version of it. You ready? I am my own shepherd. I am always in need. I stumble from mall to mall, job to job, shrink to shrink, seeking relief but never finding it. You're like, what are you doing? This is actually a, a play, a rendition by Max Lucado out of a book that he had written called Traveling Light. So hang with me. We're going to go with it again. You were ready to hear the psalm, weren't you? I am my own shepherd. I'm always in need. I stumble from mall to ball, mall to mall, job to job, and shrink to shrink, seeking relief but never finding it. I creep through the valley of the shadow of death and fall apart. I fear everything from pesticides to power lines, and I'm starting to act like my mother. I go down to the weekly staff meeting, and I'm surrounded by my enemies. I go home. Even the goldfish scowls at me. I anoint my headache with extra strength Tylenol. My Jack Daniels runneth over. Surely misery and misfortune will follow me, and I will live in doubt for the rest of my lonely life. Wow, you're right. 
I don't think I like that version. Let me read for you Psalm 23 out of the ESV. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you like that song? I'm going to invite you to share that psalm together. You ready? The Lord is my shepherd. Amen. Let's start with the first phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The image of a shepherd is not very common to us. Actually, there are some sheep and shepherds around the valley here. I notice every now and then, which is sort of uncommon. But we do not fully have an appreciation for this imagery. But a shepherd is someone who takes care of the flock. Cares. For the flock. In fact, we just sang in that relentless love song that the idea that he leaves the 99 to go pursue the one. Why does a shepherd have to go pursue the one that's lost? Because a sheep is going to come back to the fold. Sheep just sort of wander away, and if they're lost, they lay down, and they could end up being taken over by you know, a wolf or whatever it may be. And you're like, why don't you come back? It's not an animal that would return to the herd. It just sort of roams away, and that's sort of sometimes how we are as individuals. But the shepherd cares, the shepherd guides. And so this imagery of shepherd, shepherdry was not only just something David did because he was a shepherd, everybody could relate to it. So the Lord is my shepherd, someone who has ownership and cares and values my individual life. I shall not want. I shall not want doesn't mean like you, these, all these desires go away. It's learning that I shall not want in that which I have. It's the concept, it's the idea of contentment. How many of you are struggling with contentment in your life right now? I'll raise my hand. And there's various reasons. Maybe it's because something's coming up that we're anxious about. Maybe it's because something we don't have. Maybe we're looking around us and going, why not me there? You know, that kind of stuff. There's, there's always this angst that seems to build with us from one day to the next. And you have to keep it in check and go, why am I like this? Why can't I be content? When I saw that book, Soul Care, I'm like, 
why am I having such a hard time slowing down? We went to uh, watch the fireworks, and you sort of camp out for the day to get the good spot, right? Plus, it was my goal to relax on July 4th. I had one of those hard times relaxing again. And I was kicking myself because I was trying to study for this psalm. I'm like, how can I stand up and speak on Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When I'm sitting here in this fold-up chair, looking out over the lake, waiting on the fireworks to start, and I'm anxious. I'm not content. Why is this happening in my soul? Yes, I know i got to go to Mexico this week. i got the alliance coming in. Some other kinds of things are unresolved. Yeah, but why is there angst within me? How about you? Is your soul discontent? You know, if you look up the term contentment in the secular ranks, it says a state of being happy and satisfied. But that's not really the concept that's being brought forward here by the shepherd David. A biblical definition of contentment is this. A state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his or her lot, whatever it may be. It is opposed to envy, avarice, ambition, anxiety, and repining. It arises from an inward disposition and is the offspring of humility and an intelligent consideration of the moral goodness and the kindness of divine providence, the greatness of divine promises, and our own unworthiness. As well as from the view of the gospel, it opens up to us rest and peace hereafter. So contentment is not about getting everything just right, get all your ducks lined up in a row, have everything sort of quasi paid for, you know, hey, you're going to pay the bills, the relationship's going fairly well, you know, the job, the trajectory on the career is going to look favorable. It's not getting everything lined up. If you're spending your whole life trying to get everything lined up, you're going to be tremendously disappointed. Tremendously. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not be in a state of wanting in the midst of my circumstances. And it's a beautiful place for the soul to find itself, but it's so challenging in a materialistic, individualistic culture in which we live, when there's always something newer, shinier, better, polished, some other precedent. And we pursue, we pursue, we pursue. Whether it's power or fame or popularity or pleasure, we have to learn that the soul was made to be content in its relationship with God in the midst of whatever may be true of life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Apostle Paul knew what this was. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, every and every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know, a couple of the people I would have thought were the most content people ever to have lived on this earth were Adam and Eve. I mean, look at Eve. Eve had a great, beautiful environment in which she lived. She had plenty. She had plenty of food and resources And her husband was pretty fine at that time. He wasn't fallen yet. And so she had a beautiful place, but yet she was not what? She wasn't content. I want something more. I want that fruit. I want to take of that which which God told me not to take of. Do you know where Paul wrote this verse at? He didn't write this verse in some garden with everything going well. He wrote this verse in prison. And in prison, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in every 
any and every situation. How you doing on that one? Check the soul care. Are you in want of more desires and material things or other things to go around? Or have you found a place for your soul to not be in want because of the reckless love of God in your life? The shepherd David in Psalm 23 can you sort of picture it? I sort of laugh sometimes when I look back on it. I'm like, do you think David knew when he put his pen to this? <clears throat> wow, it's been a long, long, hot day. And those kinds of things. I think I'll write another psalm. This, I think, will be the most popular psalm I ever write and will be one of the best pieces of Scripture ever recorded for thousands and thousands of years. So help me, God. I've got six verses to do it in. Do you think he got all caught up in that? No. It just flows from his heart and the disposition he was in. With all that was going on around him, we don't know the particulars, but just like Paul, who was in prison, wrote something such as this beautiful verse in Philippians, the shepherd David just started out and said, you know, the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Deep breath on the other side of that. And then he went into the next phrase. He says, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, that, that's, that fits with being a shepherd, right? And because we're from, well, I'm from the Midwest. It's not so true out here in desert country sometimes. But <laughs> when I think of green pastures, I, I think of a lot of lushful, green, beautiful acreage, and I've often thought, you know, wow, I'm going to just lay down in green pastures. God's going to lead me. He's my good shepherd. Here's an abundance that you have. But do you think that's what David thought when he was penning it? I'm not quite sure of the climate and all the things that were back true 3,000 years ago when David lived. But this week, I, I watched a little video clip I want to show you from a Bible scholar um, by the name of Randon Vanderland. Uh, I think that's Ray Vanderland is his name. And this will forever alter your understanding of this second phrase of Psalm 23. As part of a shepherd lesson, I did want to look at one thing in the wilderness that will maybe surprise you a bit. Believe it or not, this is called wilderness, midbar, but it's also called green pastures. Now, when you take a Westerner here the first time and you look at this, you find people say, well, I don't know that I can go there because the Psalm 23, the Lord leads me into green pastures, has been pictured as belly deep alfalfa. Well, you haven't seen any belly deep alfalfa. And from biblical time to today, it's rare to see a flock in the farm country. There isn't a lot of farm country in this culture. And so farmers kept the shepherds out as much as they could. Maybe they would come in a little bit after the harvest to glean what was left, but you don't want sheep where you can farm. This is the land of the shepherd. Right on the hillside across from us, you can see those grazing trails. 
cut there by sheep maybe as long ago as Abraham's time. They're spaced so that an animal on one path and an animal on another can reach right to the middle between them. That determines the distance, so you can graze an entire hillside. And the shepherds lead their sheep across that hillside slowly, grazing what's there. Now, you look at it from here and you say, what's there? In fact, I remember my first impression. I woke up one morning, I was sleeping out in the wilderness, and I remember waking up, watching a flock of sheep on a hillside like this, and my, re my feeling was, what are those rock-eating sheep? I mean, what do they eat? How can you call this green pastures? Well, the answer is, there's a small amount of moisture present here. They get a little bit of rain every year. Not much, but a little. Second, there is humidity in the air, especially in the evening breeze, like right now, you can feel it. Coming from the west off the Mediterranean, there's moisture in the air. That moisture, combination of the rain and the humidity, condenses or drips along the edge of these rocks here. And if you notice, right around the rocks, almost always next to the rocks, you get little tufts of green. Get one a moment. That's what we refer to as the green pastures. So the shepherd looks for a hillside. That's exactly what she was doing. Look at that flock across from us there. Just stunning. Those two shepherd girls have found a hillside that either was exposed to the wind or had that small amount of rain. And they move that flock across the hillside and it's one mouthful here, walk a step or two, another mouthful, another mouthful, another mouthful. Now that changes the green pasture image a little bit besides the picture changing radically. Green pastures are not everything you need for the rest of your life. If you make that belly deep alfalfa, then what God is saying, if you follow me, I'm gonna plunk you down and you'll never have to move an inch the rest of your life. Just reach out and grab it. Tell me that your life with God has been like that. Worry, said one rabbi, is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. In the desert, you learn, the shepherd will get you what you need for right now. 10 minutes from now, you trust the shepherd just enough. Now, maybe you don't want to think of green pastures that way. I didn't. I want the lushful pasture. What do you mean? I'm in a desert and I have to be led along to find the little tufts of green grass. But the concept for David as a shepherd, when he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Is He knows the way of a shepherd is to lead sheep along certain places and uh, parts of a hill or a valley where there might be green. I love this valley the most between December and March. Right? Why? Because rains have come and it's green. You're like, wow, there was a lot of rain this year. Wow, it's green. But we do not have the luxury of having those rains all year round in this valley. Neither do you and I have the luxury of having God pour out His rains of blessings, whether materially, emotionally, relationally, whatever it may be, all the time. There are seasons that are tough. 
but the good shepherd. If you're in one of those tough seasons today, he is willing to take you one place at a time and make sure that provision is sufficient. We got some news in the mail yesterday um, that uh, the long short of it, it resulted in us being able to maybe pick up an extra couple hundred dollars a month from a situation that was uh, changed or resolved. And it was enough for me to go like, oh yeah, there's, there's that little tough. Thank you, thank you, your provision today for this month or the next month. There's a dependency that the sheep has with the shepherd. And God's wanting to teach us that dependency. And if you're in a place of need, if you're in a desert and dry place today, let the Lord be your shepherd and lead you in green pastures. They may not be all beautiful green, but there is enough sufficiency in his character to bring your sustenance of life for every day and every week. Learn to lean in him. He actually says four things David does here. He makes me lie down in uh, green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And the main thing you get from those four different elements, though we could dive deep into each of them, is this. The shepherd wants to lead you. He wants to lead you. And he knows best. Where to have you lie down? And the uh, sheep would only lie down if they were fulfilled. So the shepherd knows if he wants them to lie down in the green pastures, even on desert hillsides, that they needed to be filled. And he knows that in your life. He wants to lead you beside the still waters, the calm. Entitled today, Shepherd in the Calm, because the soul needs that calm. And calm waters are usually deeper waters. They're not rapid, scary things. He wants to lead you beside those still waters. He wants to restore your soul, to give you the soul care that you need. And he wants to lead you in the path that is right, to do the right things, to think the right things, to follow in the right things. He is the shepherd that can restore your soul. But he's not only the shepherd that will lead in those kinds of beautiful times. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley is death. Sometimes they had to go from one sort of hillside or valley area down through a canyon to another side. And there would be these shadows that would come on. And it's a little bit scary. You never knew what was maybe in some other kinds of bushes. So David's relating it to us in life that maybe you're going through a canyon experience and there's shadows coming over you. Maybe it's other people that are pressing in against you. Maybe it's life circumstances you never thought would come your way. There's shadows of death that come around us, but there's a separation here. Fear and death don't need to go together anymore. Stories told of a father who was trying to talk to his young child on the way to a funeral. It was the funeral of her mother. Tragic accident, she had died, and the young child was trying to think their way through, and the dad was just trying to keep it together. And the little girl said out loud, Daddy, does death hurt? Does death hurt? He didn't know how to quite explain it to her, and so he saw a big box truck sitting in front of them at a stoplight, and the sun was shining, and there was a shadow from the box truck onto the next lane that they were about to go through. And so he just said to his daughter, he said, Hun, if you had to choose, would you prefer to get hit by the truck or the shadow of the truck? She goes, well, Dad, 
the shadow, of course, because the shadow wouldn't hurt. And it related to her because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross through his death and resurrection. That we no longer need to fear death because it's the valley of the shadow of death we pass through. It doesn't hurt because of what Christ did. And so death and fear are separated, but there is the valley of the shadow of fear. And when you're in that valley, take good heed because you can gain the rod and the staff. The rod and the staff were tools of the shepherd, tools for protection, tools to, to, to jab away an enemy wolf or whatever it may be. They were tools for the protection and the good of the sheep. And David says here that it's good for you to walk through the valley. I mean, some of you may be in valley experiences here. I, I, I've been in valley experiences, and it's not fun. Even when you're curled up on a bed and you don't want to see anybody, talk to anybody, you're in a depressed state, whatever it may be, there are some dark pits that we can fall into. But you need to know this. You walk through the valley. You don't stay in the valley. We'd like to jump from mountain peak to mountain peak experiences in life, but we don't. There's valleys in between. But guess what? When you're in the valley, there's someone with you, the shepherd's with you, and you get the rod and the staff. You pick up things through hard times in the valley that you can never pick up in any other places that will be for your good. And so he begins to unpack and unfold all these things. He shifts then from this imagery to what I want to pick up next week. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd is a question I bring to you this morning as we prepare to get ourselves ready to come around celebrating the Lord's table here this morning to conclude our time together. In John 10, 14, it says this. These are words of Jesus himself. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me, just as my Father knows me and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. He's speaking of the eternal things there, but he's talking about that relationship you and I need to have with Jesus. Jesus is the one who is the good shepherd. And the sheep know the shepherd by name. Do you know Jesus? Can you say the Lord is my shepherd because that's the key to the whole passage is there's that personalness where your soul has reached down and and asked god to forgive and to be able to come into your life that you have the personal shepherd in his presence with you with jesus as my good and faithful shepherd you make this decision that i will trust his provision and his protection. I will enjoy his presence and his pleasure each day and forever and ever. It's only the relentless love of God as demonstrated through Jesus 
that your soul can be satisfied in him. I'm going to invite you to the table here. This table represents the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer of Jesus, if you claim him as your shepherd, it's an open table for you this morning. The bread, break it, dip it in the juice, spend a moment in time in prayer at your seat or somewhere else. I want you to check the soul. Thank God for the salvation that he brings. But thank him for the provision, the protection. Thank him for the pleasure that he brings you and the joy found in his presence. These are your moments. And I decided to allow our time to be led by an old songwriter, an old artist from my high school days that I wish was still alive. Because he wrote a song about Psalm 23 that I can't speak on this without this song coming back to my mind. And it's the artist Keith Green. The pictures depicted in this video clip, as you are welcome to come to the tables, have a lot of lush green pastures. Whether you're in lush green pastures or you're trying to find that little tuft of grass, take these moments. Let the shepherd minister to your soul. And then we're going to close singing about his reckless love again. These are your moments. Come to the table as you feel led.